Good morning. I'm Harley Schlanger from the LaRouche Organization with your daily update for February 4th, 2022. It's looking more and more as though the days of unquestioned imperial rule uh, by the cartels may be coming to an end. Uh, there are three main reasons for this. The, the first is growing recognition that their recklessness, especially in regard to the uh, attempts to contain Russia and China using Ukraine and Taiwan, uh, that th these are putting the world in danger of annihilation through possible nuclear war. Secondly, the combination of hyperinflation and the likely chain reaction of debt defaults uh, is putting enormous pressure on, on families, on, on governments to act, uh, that they're, they're being driven by this problem to a manic push for putting into place a great reset, a central banker's dictatorship, and a Green New Deal, which will commit Malthusian genocide. Uh, th there's growing opposition to these policies, especially from sovereign governments such as Russia, China, and India. And the third reason that this could be the end of the oligarchy is that their media empire, which shapes the narratives, uh, which can only be called through an act of brainwashing, psychological warfare, uh, has no longer any credibility. So given these circumstances, the question is, is there an alternative people can rally to? And that's the importance of Lyndon LaRouche's four economic laws. And, and I'll just restate them very simply. You start with a return of Glass-Steagall, which means separation of commercial banks and investment banks, a protection of the banks which contribute to the real economy from those which are purely speculative instruments. That the speculative investment banks, hedge funds and others will not be bailed out this time. Uh, and that it will also put an end to austerity to protect those institutions over and above family farms, businesses and manufacturing. Uh, secondly, a Hamiltonian credit system, which makes credit available not for uh, wild speculators, but for investment in the physical economy. Uh, third of the four laws is investment in developing new platforms of infrastructure, not the nonsense of the Build Back Better or Green New Deal, but the necessary infrastructure that increases the productivity of everyone operating in the economy. And fourth, Investment in the frontiers of science, including research and development in such areas as nuclear fusion, space exploration, and the construction of a modern healthcare system in every nation in the world to combat any possible future pandemic. Now, the questions, the, the first question I got is, why is there no legislature or government body that's moving toward adopting LaRouche's four laws? Well, first of all, you have the power of the oligarchy to control the narrative. They spent years trying to smear and destroy Lyndon LaRouche uh, and to prevent his exoneration. But his ideas live on after him and represent a powerful threat to the oligarchy. So they're continuing to slander someone who's been dead now for almost three years uh, and to control the narrative, basically saying that only the financial establishment know how to deal with the economic crisis. Then you have a second factor, which all of you have to think through. The brainwashing and psychological warfare around the idea of the magic of money. 
the desire of everyone to, to have adequate resources, which is a necessary responsibility, but the belief that money itself is the solution. And instead of fighting for physical economy, people are looking for ways they can get a little bit more money for themselves. And that leads to the, the other problem, which is people deciding that they're going to look for personal solutions, personal salvation, rather than acting for the common good. The United States as a nation was set up with a commitment to the idea of the general welfare. But it's hard to find anyone in the Congress who knows what that means, much less is willing to act for it. We have to demand of the Congress and of state legislatures and city governments and county governments that they meet and discuss LaRouche's four laws as an alternative to bailouts, uh, hyperinflation, and austerity. Now, the second question comes from a supporter in the United Kingdom who asks, why did Boris Johnson go to Kiev? What did he hope to gain from speaking with Putin? And he asked, is this related to the Partygate scandal? Well, on Partygate, maybe uh, I think most people have heard about this, that while Boris Johnson was sending the London police around to check passports and uh, vaccination man uh, uh, certificates and insisting that people stay locked in at home, he was having parties at 10 Downing Street. No one knows exactly how many or who participated. But on the one side, this is an example of hypocrisy, which is, include, which is causing even members of his own party to withdraw support from him. So anything he can do to take away attention to this is something he's going to do because he's a master at diversion, which is, of course, a typical quality of British leaders. But the second point is probably more important. His attempt to bolster the idea of a Russian invasion and that the United Kingdom is standing, as he said, shoulder to shoulder with Ukraine. This is him acting on behalf of the city of London and the neoliberals and neoconservatives who are using Ukraine as a testing point of so-called NATO unity at a point when the European Union is having more and more fissures because of the absurdity of its economic policies and its energy policies. The image of unity that Johnson is trying to portray is essentially bolstering the traditional British view of American brawn and British brains, the idea of the United States as a ferocious beast on a British leash. As the crew around Biden, especially people like Blinken and Avril Haines and others, are pushing the world toward war, this is the, for, on behalf of British interests to protect against a, a, a burgeoning Eurasian alliance, which is very attractive to business and manufacturers in, in Western Europe. You know, in Eastern Europe, there are significant problems related to the hangover from the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union. But in Western Europe, businesses and manufacturers are clear on the importance of the Russian and Chinese markets, the raw material potential, and the benefits of collaboration on such projects as the Belt and Road Initiative. And to counter that, the British are conjuring up this image of Russia and China as authoritarian fascist states bent on global domination. And so Johnson, being a loyal subject of the Queen, is out there pushing this line 
And instead of protecting Ukrainian lives, it's putting them in danger because the more arms shipped into Ukraine and the more support given to the crazies in Kiev to convince them that they will be supported if they invade the Donbass, the more likely it is that we'll have a nuclear World War III. So use party gate, use whatever means you have if you're a citizen of the, or a subject of the United Kingdom to bring down the Johnson government and bring in a government that's amenable to the idea of cooperation, global economic cooperation, as opposed to British geopolitics and the uh, exigencies of neo-lib, neocon approach. Uh, now, the last question was on the Minsk Accord. We're hearing a lot about this. This seems to be a sticking point. Putin says it should be abided to, that, that uh, the uh, Ukrainian government is saying, well, they support it, but the Russians don't. What's the real story? Well, the agreement in the Minsk Accord related to the Donbass region, the so-called republics of Donetsk and Luhansk, is that these are areas which rebelled against laws that were passed by the new government after the coup in 2014 that would restrict the rights of the Russian ethnic and Russian language population, which are the majority in these two uh, areas. And so the Kiev government moved in to crush the opposition to these policies. And given that these included Russian nationals, the Russians offered some support, some material support, and as a result, there's a standoff at the Dnieper River, which is the border separating western Ukraine of Kiev with eastern Ukraine of the Donbass. And the Minsk Accords grew out of the so-called Normandy format, which was the French, the Germans, the Ukrainians, and the Russians meeting to try and resolve this peacefully. And a part of it was a granting of autonomy within a federal system to the people in that region. Now, this is where the sticking point comes in. Obviously, Kiev does not want to do that. The, and partly because you have a radical faction of ultra-nationalists in Kiev who should be called what they are. Some of them are outright neo-Nazi ethnic cleansers who trace their lineage back to the Ukrainians who worked with the Nazi SS to exterminate Russians, Poles, Jews, uh, Romanians, and others in eastern Ukraine during World War II, they're insisting that the Russians be driven out, that it be an ethnically pure area of Ukraine. And this is an area where a lot of the natural resource wealth of Ukraine is. So the Ukrainian government or the Kiev government is saying that it's the Russians who won't enforce surrender uh, by the people of, of the Donbass, that's the sticking point. Now, what Putin's saying is that according to the Minsk Accord, this is a Ukrainian question. And so the Ukrainian government in Kiev should meet directly with the, their opponents in the, the Donbass. But the, the Ukrainians in Kiev are saying, no, they won't do it, that it has to be a Ukraine-Russia deal. Now, that's an odd way of supporting sovereignty to say that you have to bring in another country. And they're, they're basically saying the Russians have to stop supporting the rebellion in eastern Ukraine. The Russians are saying that if they did not indicate they would continue to support the, the Russian population there, there would be massacres conducted by the neo-Nazis in Kiev. That's the point of the standoff. Now, the U.S. 
is not a signator to the Normandy agreements, but the French and Germans are. And Putin is calling on the governments of France and Germany to enforce the Minsk Accord. The, those two governments say they agree with that, but the U.S. and the British are saying that the real agreement has to be Putin's surrender. Uh, no, uh, the, the autonomy should be decided by Kiev, not by the people in that region. And that's the sticking point. Now, there's no reason to go to World War III over that, except if your intention is to force a backing down by the Russians uh, in defense of so-called Ukrainian sovereignty, which is to give Ukrainian fascists the ability to dictate policies to people who don't agree with them that are in the majority in the eastern region of the country. That's the issue. Now, in the next days and weeks, there, there will be uh, hopefully a solution to this uh, problem, but it's going to depend on a change coming from the U.S. and the British. And if you want to see a future that's uh, one of promise and opportunity and beauty, the power has to be removed from the hands of the neocons and the neolibs of the corporate cartels. And the best way to do that is through the support of what I identified earlier as Lyndon LaRouche's four economic laws, which could be enforced by a new Bretton Woods system centered around cooperation between the United States, Russia, China, and India. You can find more about this on the uh, LaRouchePub.com. That's the Executive Intelligence Review, and also on the LaRouche Organization website. So thanks for joining me this week. Thank you for your questions. I'm sorry I couldn't get to all of them, uh, and I'll see you next week.